Thank you guys for being here today. It's great to just see so many faces. Um, I don't know about you, but I'm still on kind of like a spiritual high from last week. Um, If you were with us, we had baptisms here. It was just incredible time of worship and uh, really just seeing God move. And and that's just a good reminder that God is still moving. God is still at work, even when we don't realize it. Um, And it's good to come together to celebrate those times together. so today, today we're in a second installment of this like three-part little mini-series we're doing called The Time Is Now, which is based in the book of Haggai. Uh, Pastor Chris loves to pull out random prophetic books from Old Testament scriptures that usually you would just gloss over and jump through because there is meaning and purpose in them, and they can speak to us, and not just speak to us now in comparative situations, but also they point us to Jesus, too, and we're gonna, we've been talking about that. And, and to, let me just say this at the beginning of this message. Today's message is specifically for those who are discouraged right now. Discouraged. So if you find yourself in a place of discouragement, you are in the right place, whether you're here with us in person or if you're online, um, or maybe you know someone that is going through a period of discouragement right now. Um, and, and so we're in this, this second part, so we're in like the middle episode here of this series on the Old Testament minor prophet Haggai. Um, if you're not sure where Haggai is, you can just default the whole flipping through the Bible and just look on your phone, right? It's very easy to do that. But um, quickly, I want to remind us of the backstory, kind of going into this, um, the, this situation so that you'll kind of understand the main story that's really unfolding in this book. Um, so we're going to put this timeline up here, and this is also printed in your worship guide too. So hopefully you received one on your way in and you can follow along there. And so going all the way back, so almost like 3,000 years ago, there's a guy named King Solomon. So he's a son of King David, King Solomon. And there was a kind of magnificent time in Israel's history that things were going so well. And King Solomon built this magnificent temple. I mean, this, was, this place was so incredible, so beautiful. You know, it's almost like Dis- it was almost like the, the Disney world of like ancient times. Like people would travel from miles and miles away to just see this place, to tour it, to look around. It was just an amazing, beautiful place. But the thing is, when King Solomon died, people turned away from God. And they turned away from God. They got distracted with lots of other things going on in their lives and in the world. And over time, God allows a series of events to take place. And what happened was the temple was destroyed in the year 587 B.C. under King Nebuchadnezzar. Maybe you've heard of him before. And his army, the Babylonian army. So the Babylonians come in. They conquer everybody, they wipe out the temple, they destroy it, and they take the Jewish people into captivity for five decades. For five decades. That's a long time, right, guys? Like, some of us are, aren't even 50 yet, right? right? It's just that, you know, you laugh back there. But, but truthfully, think back 50 years. Maybe you are over the, what we say, 55 and better community here at Table Life Church. You know, you're like, like five years old, 10 years old, 20 years old maybe at that, right? And you can, so you can imagine that they experienced such relief and hope that after those 50 years, they were finally allowed to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild. To rebuild, to rebuild their lives, but also more specifically to rebuild the temple. And so there's this governor, Zerubbabel. He kind of rises to to the power to kind of oversee this process. And 50,000 people are allowed back into Jerusalem 
to rebuild the temple as their first priority. And you imagine what amazing, like, excitement there was. I don't know if you've ever been part of, like, you know, building a house or maybe a a new project in your yard or whatever. Like, there's excitement. Like, we're finally going to do this, right? You're just like, the start is just so great. And they build the foundation for the temple. They build the altar. They put that in place. But then what happens? Opposition. The Samaritans come in, pose them from the outside, right? Then they have all those thoughts, the, sh- the saids going on in their head, like, what? Well, maybe we're doing the wrong thing. Maybe we shouldn't do this. Like, the thing's going on internally, external opposition, internal opposition. And they gave up. They gave up. They gave up the good work that they had started. And for 14 years, 14 years, the temple sat unfinished, just with the foundation in place and an altar in place. But that's when God raised up the prophet Haggai. The prophet Haggai to call the people back to their unfinished business. And and he tells the people, hey, let's put God first. Let's get back to the work. Let's not have any regrets moving forward here. Let's do the hard right thing. And we talked about that last week, about how hard it is to do the hard right thing. We all have unfinished business in our lives, but it's really important to look at those things and to say, hey, you know what, I want to move on in the future and I want to have no regrets here. That God may be calling me to do that hard right thing. And so today, today we pick up the story with that context in mind. So we're going to start at the end of chapter 1, Haggai 1, verses 13 to 15. So we'll have it on the screen. It's also printed in your worship guide there. So scripture says, then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Sheatel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Jezadok, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month. Let's just pause there. It's interesting. What does God often do? Well, God often stirs up in your spirit to begin a work. God often stirs up your spirit to begin a work, that, to put in your heart and your mind something to accomplish for him. And he does that. That's what the scripture says. He does that for the people. He stirs up a spirit in Zerubbabel. He stirs up a spirit in Joshua. He stirs up something, a sense of faith, a desire to rebuild to get back to the unfinished work, the unfinished business. And I would dare say this, that that often happens for us. Maybe it's happened to you before. That even out of the blue, there's been something that's been stirred up. Maybe you've seen a need. Maybe you've seen something wrong going on. Maybe, maybe just in the middle of the night in a dream, you've woken up and you've recognized to say, God's calling me to this. God's calling me to this almost unsurmountable task, this unfinished business, or, or maybe it's something new. But the story goes, one month goes by, and guess what happens again? They quit. <laughs> they quit again. Like, what's with that, guys? Like, like, but, but you look at that, you know, it's easy for us to point fingers and say, like, what's with it? Like, they quit once, and then they start again, and they quit again. And, but that's like our story, right? I mean, how often does that happen? We kind of flame out before we start, especially when things get hard. A number of years ago, I had an injury. Those of you that know me, I'm a runner. And um, I had an injury that kind of put me on the sidelines for about three years from running. 
And finally, I kind of had the clear and felt good enough to get back into it. And I have to tell you, like, even looking back now that I continue to run these days, um, I look back and I see how difficult that was to just put my shoes on and just, like, try to run again. And, and I'll never forget, like, the first couple of times that, like, I went out literally for, like, a two-minute run. Like, now I'm, like, running, like, well, I'm running like, like, maybe two hours, something like that. Like, two minutes, two minutes. Like, put on my shoes, get on there. I remember, like, the pain, right? I don't know if you ever tried to run before, but if you have, there's always that starting period. Like, just the pain in your quads. Like, they're burning, you know. You're, you're <sighs> like, you, you just, like, can't catch your breath, and you're going along. And, and I started to wonder, I'm like, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? This is coming from, like, a lifetime runner here, like, why would anybody do this? Maybe you've thought about that, and maybe you don't run because of that. But, but seriously, like, it was so hard. It was so hard, and I was like, 10 minutes? I can't run for two. I remember, I, you know, I used to do marathons before that and all, and I'm like, how on earth did I do that, right? This is too hard. Maybe I should stop. It's too hard for me to continue. It hurts. It, it's painful. Every part of my body the next day ached, you know, but... I think that's why only 15% of the population does run. <laughs> We're crazy, right? But it's hard. It's hard. It's hard. See, I think just compare, comparing that, maybe it's not running for you, maybe it's something else, but we have to realize that discouragement is par for the course when you're doing a hard thing. There's always going to be discouragement. And I would dare say if you've never experienced discouragement or maybe in a long time, I would dare say maybe, maybe you're not doing something hard enough. <laughs> Right? God, God, God had asked Haggai, he asked him a question. See, God's trying to get to the root of the discouragement here. To say, hey, what's going on? Like, let's, let's get to what's causing you to quit over and over again. And so, if you're discouraged today, perhaps it's because of one of these two reasons that he goes on in Haggai chapter 2. He starts off in verses 1 to 3. He says, on the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Sheatel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, the son of Jozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? Does it not seem to you like nothing? See, looking at this scripture, we kind of see the two main causes of discouragement. The first being comparisons, and the second being a lack of progress. First, comparisons. So these people are doing the same thing that we often do, compare. Compare. that They're comparing their start on this building this new temple to the old temple's finish, to the old temple and its glory. Don't we do that? Like, we're comparing my start. I'm just starting this. I'm running my two minutes, right, to the yesteryear of running the two hours, right? I'm comparing these two different things. And so they just started. They, it doesn't look very good. I mean, compared to like the Disney World version, like this is not a good version of the temple so far. They're in the beginning stages. But also we recognize too, and I indicated this last week, that scholars estimate that Haggai himself, the, the prophet here, he was probably in his mid-70s when he was called by God. So first off, if you are of that character or that age, God may not be done with you yet, <laughs> right? But, but that means, too, that, that Haggai himself was probably a teenager. He was, he was probably a teenager when the old temple existed. He was probably old enough to remember what the former temple had looked like. 
And so when we remember those things, there's always going to be that need for comparison. There's always going to be that desire to compare or to even look around. And so if you haven't experienced that, well, then if you, haven't, if you want to feel discouraged easily, um, then you should probably look on Pinterest a couple times and probably try to make something complicated off of Pinterest. I don't know if you've ever tried to do that, but we have a couple of examples. We're going to put up this, this screen here. So Easter's coming. You can make the nice sheep cake, not the sheet cake, the sheep cake. Um, but yours might not turn out exactly like Pinterest. <laughs> yeah right? That's kind of what life looks like often. How about the next one? This is a favorite of mine. Like, you know, Girl Scout cookies, like you can make your own, believe it or not. Like, just go on Pinterest and do it, but they may not turn out like that. Yeah, still delicious though. It's all really what matters. And last but not least, this is a good one too. You like Cookie Monster, the special little cookie things with all the cream. And kids will love it, right? You're going to bring that to their party in school. And all the moms are going to be like, yeah, that's so, you're amazing. But this is what you bring. <laughs> really kind of sad, right? Right? We compare, right? You try and you're like, this does not look like Cookie Monster. Like, it's like awful, right? But life can feel and look that way. I mean, that happens a lot. Uh, and you can feel very discouraged when you look around. You know, you look and see, see somebody else, and you see, hey, they have a great job. They have a most, the, the car that I want. Their house is just immaculate, and you're like, I hate my job. My car barely runs, and I'm renting a place with a leaky roof. Or, or, or maybe you look at other parents, and you see, like, you know, you see the kids that are going to school, and they're matching outfits, and everything looks amazing, and they're getting college credit in, in like fourth grade, and, and you're told that all the time when you're getting together with the other parents, and then your kids are barely dressed, they're wearing Halloween outfits, maybe pants, and they forgot their lunch money. Yeah. Even more so on social media. You see how great everybody else's lives are, who they're spending time with. You compare sunset pictures. This one's better. Hers is awesome, right? And you end up so incredibly discouraged. And you wonder, like, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? And dare I say, this also goes in our spiritual journeys, too. That sometimes we hear the story of somebody's amazing transformation when they came to faith in Jesus. How they were in drugs, and they were, uh, they were homeless, and, and then all of a sudden they came to faith in Jesus, and their life was transformed, and now their relationships are healed, and there's so much good. And then you're like, well, I didn't do drugs, and I didn't go to that, and I wasn't never on the street, and, and my story's just kind of like boring, so maybe it doesn't really matter, right? We do that. I've done that before. I mean, even when I was like first figuring out this whole thing in Jesus, I would hear these stories and be like, my story's so boring, right? Maybe, maybe I need to like, okay, maybe there was a time that like I tried some, like, like a over-the-counter medication, right? That's enough to count as a drug in some way. And maybe, but it really was like, I was like making things up. I was pulling like to try to make some incredible story. I was comparing all the time. But comparisons can kill any spirit of contentment. They can kill that spirit of contentment. But the second thing that causes discouragement that, that Haggai points to too is that a lack of progress can make you feel that way too. Lack of progress. You know, I have yet to find somebody who loves a treadmill. Uh, honestly, I'm a runner. I hate the things. I hate them. I do them because I have to. But, but you feel like you're going nowhere. 
It hurts too, right? That you're trying so hard, you're not, things are not working, you're not going anywhere, that maybe life feels like a treadmill to you. Or maybe you took a risk, you tried something new. Maybe you, you've been a Christian for all this time. You started to follow Jesus a number of years ago, and yet you still say bad words. You know, in fact, on your way to church this morning, you probably cussed a whole lot, a whole lot of stuff came out of your mouth, right? And you're like, oh man, right, again? You thought that now, but the now, you, that over the years, you would have understood scripture a little bit more. But now you're still stuck in Leviticus in your one-year Bible plan. You never quite make it through that, right? Or, or maybe for you, there's, there's a sin in your life, something that you thought that you overcame. Or, or something that you wrestled with, but it's still a struggle. Or maybe it just came back and reared its ugly head. Or maybe you've been praying for a family member who's been making some decisions, and then you watch them, and you keep thinking, like, could they be any stupider? They keep doing the same thing over and over. I keep telling them, I keep praying, I keep doing this. Nothing's happening, and you're discouraged. Things aren't happening as you thought that they would be. You feel like those who were building the temple. Not even sure if it's worth it anymore. And so I want to be honest with you all here just for a couple minutes here. And I, I just want to warn you, like, please do not send me emails or letters. Um, I'm not telling you to empathize with me. But guess what? I get discouraged. I get discouraged. You know, I look at people in my life stage. I look at other pastors. I compare myself. I see how big is their church? What's going on in their activities? All the amazing things that are taking place. There's times that I go home after church and I rethink my sermon. I'm like, oh, man, why did I say that? Like, oh, no, I should have said this. Like, that just, I just, I go over that over and over in my mind. Not all the time, but it happens. Or, or I, during the week, you know, I'm responding to an email or talking to somebody, and then I go and I, I wonder, like, is somebody going to leave the church because I said this or I didn't say that or I took this or they interpreted that or, you know, I worry about that stuff. It keeps me up at night. You know, sometimes we have events. Sometimes I start something, and guess what? Nobody shows up. It's like me, right? And I'm like, oh, well, that's great. And, and if you're, I, I recognize here, we have a bunch of pastor's kids, by the way, in our congregation. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. But you know this. You know mom or dad, like, you know, what they went through and, like, all this, the struggles and the discouragement that happens. And, and so you're probably wondering, well, why are you telling me this? Like I said, cheaper than therapy. But, um, but I want to show you that it's, it's a level playing field. You know, we can all be depressed together. It's amazing. Now, I, I say this because what we all need is that we all need, including myself, we all really need to hear from God. We all really need to hear from God. And I don't want to whine, but I want to tell you, we all live there in the discouragement basement at some point. All of us. All of us. And, and you're looking around and you're saying, they're doing this and they're doing that and I'm not. And I'm trying so hard here and it's not working. So what do you do? What do you do when you constantly find yourself discouraged? Well, I want to look at what God tells his people to do when they experience this. They're building the temple. It's not going well. They quit. They start. They quit. It's not good enough. And God gives them what I think are like the most loving and simple instructions. And to me, that's one of the most beautiful things about this little book is just how loving God is. And last week, we talked about how we make things too complicated, right? We're trying to get started. It's just like, no, no, no. Go up the mountain, get the timber, come down and build. Like, go up the mountain, like three steps. Like, just do those three things, right? 
choose the hard right thing. You know, uh, Martin Luther King said the same thing. Like, you don't have to know. Faith is, not, is a staircase. Take the first step. Don't worry about the rest of it. Take the first step. Do the hard right thing. But this year when we get discouraged, and, and, and so we ask, what do we do, God? And I watch how loving he is when he says this. He talks first to the governor, then he says it to the high priest, and then to all the people, and he tells them the same thing. Listen to this. He says, but now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Jazadok, uh, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work. And work. For I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt. And my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. What do you do when you're discouraged? God says essentially three things. The first two, be strong and do the work. Be strong. Be strong. Notice he didn't say compare the results or complain or point the finger and blame someone else. He says, be strong. And you might say, well, be strong. Like, I just have to, like, like suck it up and, like, like, do it myself. Well, the great news is that we don't have to be strong on our own power, and we shouldn't. We shouldn't. We're told that, that when you are weak, that's when God's strength is the strongest. That's when God's strength is made perfect through you. That the same spirit that we believe that, ro- that rose Jesus from the dead dwells within you. The same spirit And so when you can't do it anymore, when you're about to give up and quit, that's when you're the perfect candidate for God's strength to be strong in you. It's be strong, but not on your own power, on his. But the second piece is important, too, to do the work. Do the work. You got to show up again. You got to show up again. You got to put down another stone. Um, There's a, you know, I play hockey, a hockey fan. Wayne Gretzky once said, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Isn't that true? It'd be easy to go home. It'd be easy to turn your back. But God says, be strong and show up again. Show up again, guys. Don't give up. Even when things are, are, don't seem to be changing or going in the direction you want or don't have much or others aren't showing up either, right? Or others aren't being loving in return to you. Stay in the game. Stop comparing and do the work. In the New Testament, Galatians 6, 9, it says something of the same accord. It says, let us not become weary in what? Doing good. Let's not become weary in doing good because at the proper time, we'll reap a harvest if we don't give up. If we don't give up. And that's, that's a good message, I think. A good reminder. Be strong and do the work. But there's one more part here. There's one more part that, that he gets to in this scripture. There's something more. God tells Haggai, be strong and do the work. I am with you. I am with you. You're not doing this by yourself. You're not alone in this. I am with you. Sometimes God works through other people as well, a lot of the time. But what God is going to show them, I think, is the, world, is the most world-changing news ever. And he continues, this is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I'll once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I'll shake all nations. And what is desired by all nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine, the gold's mine, all that stuff you focus on, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. See, the third and last thing is that we need to trust that God's up to something greater. We have to show up, we have to be strong, show up to do the work, but to trust that God's up to something greater. 
He's saying the glory of the present temple, the one that you're building, guys, is going to be greater than the old. But we have to take a note here because secular historians actually show that the temple that's built at this time, Zerubbabel's temple, wasn't even close to the grandiose uh, demeanor of the, of the old temple. It wasn't even close to being as beautiful or as extravagant. So you have to wonder, well, then why is God lying here, right? God's saying, why is God saying this? Well, he's actually pointing and foreshadowing the great New Testament truth of his love. That God's showing physically what he would do years and years and decades later, centuries later, spiritually. See, in the Old Testament times, people would go to the temple and they would make a sacrifice in hopes of being right with God, that that would take away their sins. But after Jesus, we're told that followers of Jesus, we're actually become, we actually become the temple of God. We don't need a place to go to to offer sacrifices. That we are where God dwells with us. That God came to us, Emmanuel, God with us. And that we can be right with him because of Jesus. And that changes everything. It changes everything. To know you're not alone in this. Jesus is the greater glory that dwells with you, in you, among us, with us. See, There's a difference when you have a perspective of something greater up ahead, something greater that God is doing, a different perspective. Because there's a difference between escaping discouragement and persevering through it. And so I'm going to steal this from a friend of mine, uh, a friend named Brian, who kind of encouraged me to think of a soundtrack for Scripture. And what I mean by that is, as you're reading Scripture, kind of think of a soundtrack behind it that you would listen to about kind of the, the mood and the demeanor of that scripture. And, and I think uh, when, this last verse here, this last verse here, that the Lord present house will be greater than the glory of the former houses, the Lord Almighty. In this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. But a lot of times we think of peace as just that absence of conflict and kind of everything going hunky-dory and kind of getting back to it. But that's kind of an, an attitude or a posture of escaping discouragement. I'm saying, I just want to get out of discouragement and go to my happy place, right? And I think the soundtrack that came to mind was, go ahead, Nate, you can put that up there. Hakuna Matata. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty, right? It's a great feeling. Just get out of it escape it. You don't have to go through discouragement, turn around. You know, that's this whole story of the Lion King, right? That Simba is, is it's a story of giving up, a story of giving up. Uh, and what happens in the story, if you haven't seen the Lion King, the kingdom suffers for it because he gives up. The kingdom actually goes downhill because he doesn't claim his role in what he's being called to do. And that's one way to think about discouragement. Just want to escape it and get rid of it. But what if we face it in a different way? The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. Yeah, right? Two different things. Escape or perseverance. And saying, no, you know what? I'm doing this anyway. You know, Rocky, I mean, our Eagles fans, right, are really happy after last night. But right, the eye of the tiger, like peace in presence, right? 
that I'm persevering through this, not escaping from it, but going through it, to keep on and keeping on, right? That's what glorifies God. That's what glorifies God, to show up again, show up again, to build that foundation, not to give up again. I think that's kind of the main idea here, friends, is to show up again, to show up again. When you're facing discouragement, to show up again and don't give up again. Show up again. It's hard. Yes, it's going to be hard. If you're facing discouragement, you just may be in the right place. If you're not, then maybe there's something that God's calling you to that you haven't taken a first step on. But show up again. Don't give up again. Uh, Maybe you've experienced that kind of low-grade frustration, thinking like you're, you're not where you thought you would be. Maybe it's hard right now. And maybe if you're discouraged today, first to recognize you're in good company. We've all been there. We all are there. But the Jews, the Jews rebuilding the temple, that's a reflection of us. But we're reminded that we're not alone in more ways than one. So don't escape it. Face it. Jesus himself did, right? To go through it. To go through it, not on your own accord or your own strength, but with his help. To remember that God came to you. He is with you. Let's pray. Gracious God, we come to you today as people that have lived in that basement of discouragement, Lord. And some of us are there now, if we fully admit it. Father, today give us the courage to put down another stone, to trust you, to show up and not give up. And to know that many of the things in life that are worth doing are going to be difficult and hard. Especially when it means to following you. The hard right thing is hard for a reason. That it doesn't go along with what the world may be telling us. It doesn't go along with what the voices around us may be pointing to. That it's often difficult, it usually is, to do that hard right thing. But help us to persevere. To keep faith. To not not give up, Lord. Even in our prayers, Lord. Some of us have been praying for someone for years. And it can feel like, okay, I just should stop now. I don't see anything. I don't see a lack of progress or any change in the situation or in this person, Lord. But help us not to lose that faith, Lord. To keep on keeping on, Lord. To know and to trust that you have greater things ahead, Lord. And sometimes they look different than what we thought. Sometimes the road that we travel is, is a little bit more bumpy and, and a little bit less scenic than what we would have imagined, Lord. But Lord, help us to keep our eyes set on you, knowing that your grace is sufficient for when we do quit, that you didn't give up on the Jews, Lord, when they were rebuilding the temple and they quit over and over and over again, but yet you pursued them. You spoke to them, Lord. You, you brought them back to that work, that unfinished business, God. Help us to keep our eyes on you, to know you more, Lord. We know that you are present in the midst of our struggles. You are here with us. You're a God who doesn't abandon us or forsake us. And how you showed that in the the greatest event of all time, Lord, the, the coming of Jesus and what he would do to us and do for us and how he would walk this earth among us, Lord, to know our pain and to know our struggle. And that lets us know that today we can confess those struggles. We can confess those ways that we have quit. The, the situations, the, even, even on you, God. Some of us have, have, have quit journeying with you for a multitude of reasons. Whether it's been people that we've encountered or church experiences or religion overall, Lord. And Lord, and we confess that today. 
We come before you knowing that you receive us. You receive us as, as broken people, as broken vessels, Lord, but you don't give up and you come to us and you offer your forgiveness. Forgiveness. That you can know you are forgiven. You can lay all those struggles, you can lay those sins at his feet and know that you are loved and that you are forgiven. And so together, as God's people, we join together in the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, reminded of these words and the depth that they present themselves. And we say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.